Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. And welcome once again to Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli with RestaurantOwner.com. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Stripe and Growth, the magazine at RestaurantOwner.com. And today we welcome Cassie Cooper, director of marketing for Velvet Taco. This is going to be a really interesting conversation as we're going to learn a little bit about the one of the hottest brands that there is in the nation today. So Cassie, welcome to Corner Booth. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Chris and Mary, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk with you and share some insights with your listeners. Well, great, Cassie. You know, we like to start these things out by giving our uh, listeners some background on our guest and how they got into the hospitality industry, their uh, career journey up to this point. Do you want to share that with uh, the people tuning in? I'd love to. Uh, So, you know, I mean, actually, before the business aspect of restaurants, uh, I worked in restaurants. So my very first job was at a bakery. I made bread. I baked goods. I made sandwiches to order. Uh, In high school, my best friend's mom worked at a dairy or she owned it. She was a franchiser for Dairy Queen. And so on the weekends, I'd work there. I made blizzards and shakes. Um, And then in college, uh, I was had a, I think my longest stint in hospitality, I worked as a waitress in a high volume bar. And so I'd work weekends, long days, nights, holidays. So I have found a huge respect for the service industry workers and of course the product, right? And so the product is either the food or the drink uh, that the guest is consuming. And that's, I think the one thing that all walks of life have in common is food. And I think that whole term breaking bread comes to fruition, right? And so mm-hmm. that is really kind of how my love for hospitality kind of turned into more of a business. And then of course, once it was time to turn that into a career, I started down that journey and I used some of that hospitality experience that I had and turned it into kind of a marketing career. So fast forward, here I am at Velvet Taco. I've been with the brand for almost four years, have seen the brand grow When I joined, there was eight units, I believe, and um, we are currently at 36. So exponential growth, we're currently on that growth trajectory. And still the same thing, you know, that uh, I I loved and uh, found very fondly of the hospitality back when I, you know, worked in the bakery and Dairy Queen uh, is still true today, is the people, it's the food. It's the one thing that all walks of life have in common, as I had said. So Mm -hmm. it, it continues to intrigue me and I absolutely love what I do every single day. And yeah, it's definitely been a journey. So four years, you've gone from eight to over 30 units during a time when a lot of people have been struggling and and trying to get through a pandemic. And so I've got a million questions on how you make that happen, because it doesn't happen without guest traffic and it you don't get guest traffic without marketing. So what we're going to try to help, you're going to help crack the code for us hopefully today. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, I wish there was a science that I could tell, tell you, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the reality is, is, you know, I guess my, if my, if I had one piece of advice is don't be afraid to try anything. Um, and I think that was something that we've done as a brand, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. I mean, yeah, we're, we're running a profitable business here, but don't take yourselves too seriously and, and really just try anything. Like during COVID, you know, there were six people from a restaurant support office standpoint, um, you know, running the business side of the company. And obviously the operators were the ones making it all happen because, you know, we don't make money at the operation or at the restaurant support level perspective. But, you know, we were doing things that we hadn't done before. You know, luckily we had some of the infrastructure set up for third-party delivery and all of that, but people were working the cash, the counter box that had never done that before. We were hitting the pavement, uh, you know, handing out free taco cards to people to try to get them to come into our restaurants. You know, we had to pause on some of our uh, work behind our catering program, but then shortly after we we launched it. And so we fast-tracked a loyalty program to make sure that we could uh, talk to our consumers because they were sitting on their couch right at home. And um, there was no way for us to talk to them uh, other than like social media and things like that. But just don't be afraid. I mean, it, you know, we, we at Velvet Taco, you know, we're at 36 locations and, we just continue to try to, you know, 
break barriers from our loyalty program to our catering program. I mean, we, you know, just hired our first CFO last year, our new COO. And so we just, you know, we are continuing to, you know, move and adjust and shift as needed. And if you just continue to do things the way they always were done, I think you're going to find yourself in a, in a bad place. (laughs) We're constantly looking at our recipes, our culinary, our menu, what, where our gaps are. And so it's, it's just relentless innovation is actually one of our mission, vision and values that we have plastered in a, um, in a conference room here at our restaurant support office. And Mm -hmm. it truly is uh, engraved in everything we do from our marketing, from our operations, to our culture. And yeah, I'll just leave you with that relentless innovation. The name, the name somewhat suggests the type of cuisine. I love for you to, you know, describe it though in a little more detail. Uh, you know, when you hear the word taco, you're, you're thinking about Mexican food, Tex-Mex, and the regions that you've been successful are probably some of the best Tex-Mex and Mexican food in the country. But tell us about the cuisine, the concept, and what differentiates it from many, many other really good restaurants where you can get good tacos in, in, in that part of the world. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Barry, because we, you know, with with the, the word taco, um, you know, in our name, people are coming to us, you know, thinking that they're going to get kind of a more standard, you know, Tex-Mex, uh, you know, meat, cheese and lettuce taco. And that's not us. So Velvet Taco is globally inspired tacos is kind of our tagline. Um, it's born of a mashup of uh, foodie culture, um, you know, and uh, luxurious uh, which kind of represents the velvet. Um, you're not going to get kind of uh, small tacos. They're not street tacos. They're uh, six inch tortillas with two ounces of protein. And um, it's taking a cuisine from around the world, like uh, spicy uh, tikka chicken, our t- uh, most se- uh, top selling taco. Um, and that's kind of inspired by the popular uh, Indian dish, chicken marsala. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that with every single one of our tacos. And the key differentiator there is uh, you're not going to find it anywhere else. Um, we use the same scratch made preparation methods as like, say, a fine dining restaurant, but it's in a fast, casual, hip, hip funky setting. Um, and so, yeah, it is the food that's one of the key differentiators, but it's also the environment and the vibe um, from the music to our team members. Uh, you know, they all have their own kind of eclectic personality. We let them wear kind of their own uniforms to work, but we brand it with the Velvet Taco brooch. So their personality is infused into um, our music playlists in the restaurants are curated um, not only to the city, but the region. So there's there's a whole vibe that we're, um, you know, introducing to our guests. And when you walk in, you feel that. And so, of course, when you ask the question about the pandemic and how we prevailed during that time is we had we had our we had a challenge of how do we convey that same experience off premise and off premise is not going away today. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's the million dollar question is how do we continue to live, deliver on that experience? Because the food, you know, the food's going to always hit on all those senses. But it's like, how do you convey that experience off premise? And um, I think, you know, that really is what sets us aside, Barry, is the is the experience and the the scratch made approach to our our kitchen. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been through, you know, your locations. Um, I mean, I'm a fan. I've been so I know that um, I've witnessed exactly what you just explained and and enjoy that. And I um, what I also like is that no two units really seem to look identical, yeah. or flow the same way or are the same size but they still represent the brand. And I think that maybe our listeners would would probably benefit from hearing how you can do that because they might be struggling with two units or three units and thinking, what are the priorities? So if you could kind of walk us through what's really important in a brand and why it's okay, I guess, if the two stores aren't the same size, uh, and then how you keep the third-party delivery and the car side pickup and the in-house to-go. Mm-hmm. So paramount in your counter service. We're all struggling with that today. Yeah. So we have what three different prototypes. We have a um, suburban location, urban location, and kind of light urban, if you will. And so 
um, we really started out as urban locations, right? Where there's, um, you know, kind of a busy downtown corner and that's really kind of where we got our roots. But as, you know, things shifted during the pandemic, we started introducing some of these more suburban, light uh, suburban, or excuse me, light urban locations with drive-through and walk-up pickup windows. And we have seen, um, pretty uh, pretty great success with those those models um, just because of the conveniency aspect of it and we it's you know we position it as an advanced order pickup um, window and and uh, they're seeing those restaurants are seeing much higher digital um, uh, orders than kind of our our standard um, non drive-through locations, if you will. And so really kind of understanding the markets, uh, our real estate team does an amazing job uh, with site selection and kind of understanding the market, the demographic and how uh, we'll perform against the comp set when we do go there. And so there's a rigorous process that they have to understand what that looks like. Um, And then of course, from branding perspective, I mean, there's some, you know, key components that we don't depart from, um, you know, like making sure that our kitchen is hundred percent scratch made we, or, you know, in the, has the equipment and the tools. Um, we don't have any freezers or microwaves uh, back of house. And so, um, you know, it needs to be first functional and then all of the branding aspects will kind of come secondary, but um, the, the answer to your question of how they all look different. Um, you're exactly right. We, we kind of take, um, different aspects of each of our cities or neighborhoods even. And um, we infuse some of those aspects into the restaurant from a design perspective. So our mural, if you've been, been to our restaurants, we've got these amazing murals, um, usually hired by a local artist. And we incorporate some fun elements from the city. So for example, we're opening our Grapevine Texas location in a couple of weeks. And um, they've got uh, one of their heritage in that city is their old railroad system. And so our mural has incorporated elements from the city of Grapevine's um, uh, railroad system. And it's like that in every one of our restaurants. And so that's been a lot of fun um, to kind of play a role in what that looks like from a creative perspective. Um, But yeah, I mean, our operations and our real estate team work really closely together to make sure that, um, you know, the the designs are executionably friendly, friendly because of the complexity that we have in our menu. I mean, um, you know, not to deviate from the question, but we have this weekly taco feature um, and it's ran 52 times a year, which is a new recipe every single week. And that's a lot. That's a lot for our operations. That's a lot. That's a lot to train. That's a lot to communicate to the guest. Um, And so, you know, designing, you know, that, as part of the menu, as part of the experience is, um, you know, there's a lot of love and care that goes into it, quite frankly. I'm intrigued by the, how hyper-local you're, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're, the, the, each unit has sort of a hyper-local kind of flavor. It respects the region that it, the, the place that it's in. I remember Johnny Caraba saying, you know, whether you have two units or a thousand, you, 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 you win and lose at the unit level. What really intrigues me though, if, if your um, ambience and your decor respects the neighborhood, is your marketing hyper-local as well? Does that make sense? It it does. Um, Yes. So what we've been doing from a marketing perspective, um, when we open restaurants, we, I mean, it's very grassroots, right? We go partner with um, local communities and partners and retailers to make sure first to communicate we're open, but also truly partner with them. Um, uh, Our Deep Ellum restaurant, uh, we um, just recently opened uh, that earlier this month. And we partnered with the Deep Ellum uh, Foundation um, and we donated uh, proceeds to uh, during our VIP friends and family. Um, And we wouldn't, you know, we that was, you know, a a charity that was selected because they were right next door and they were part of the same neighborhood. And so that's one of the elements that we've done. Um, And, you know, the festivals, the food uh, events that we participate in uh, vary by market. And so one thing may not work for let's say I'm going to take Grapevine again as an example because we're going through their um, um, their their openings plan for um, the next week and 
you just have to tailor it, right? Like the mm-hmm. urban location is not gonna, you're not going to have a chamber ribbon cutting at uh, a downtown location, whereas you may at uh, Rockwell where there's very suburban. So we do, we do customize each of our kind of activations and we partner with the uh, restaurant operators to, uh, you know, they, they're the ones that know their restaurants and their communities um, better than us here sitting at uh, the restaurant sport office. So we really, truly try to understand what's meaningful at the city level. Um down to the neighborhood itself. So, so that, re- that requires you to really kind of do your homework every time you open up a new unit, I imagine. Absolutely. You know, like I said, our real estate team does a good job helping us understand why we first go into this area and why it makes sense from, you know, a profitability and a site selection standpoint. So we get that information from them and then we have to turn it around and help, you know, uh, really shape it to figure out how to talk to our guests in that neighborhood and what, what would make sense from kind of a partnership standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, you, as you were describing that, you quickly rolled out an example that makes total sense, but I'd like to go back to it for a moment. Cause I think it's where a lot of our um, listeners struggle. They see sort of a separation between marketing, planning, promotion, advertising, and operations. And you just quickly said how, how important it is to bond with the community and the local operation people on the ground. They know the community better. And so you require basically their input in yeah. order for you to plan marketing correctly. So maybe you could give us some examples of how that works, because I just think that that's a, that's a principle that if you own a couple of restaurants, yeah. Um, you, you just don't want to hear anymore the manager saying, well, you know, the owner has this marketing company and they thought it would work and everyone feels separation. Yeah. Uh, but truly to make it work, there needs to be no separation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the worst the worst marketing plan is um, to drive guests into the restaurant and the restaurant has, you know, no idea like what's going on or they, they, you know, aren't prepared for it or, um, and then I think that also jeopardizes the guest experience really. Um, so actually this morning, uh, the marketing team was down at our grapevine location, um, which is opening again in a couple of weeks. And we were educating them on their, their restaurant marketing plan and how we're going to help share the word and, uh, with the community that we're opening. And we were collaborating with them on, you know, partners that we should be reaching out to flyers that we should be dropping off. Um, and who's going to help us kind of, uh, who's going to be a resource, whether that's an operator operator or somebody from the marketing team to go and, you know, canvas the area to, um, you know, engage with the community. And so it truly is a partnership. Um, it has worked for us. Uh, I've worked on the other side um, and, you know, it's, it's not, it's ugly if you don't have a partnership because um, you never want to be in a situation where you feel like marketing is doing something to operators. It's got to be first operationally sound. And so we've got an amazing COO, um, Michael, who just joined the team um, and he, you know, he's, he's, he's a great partner. And so uh, we are fortunate here at Velvet Taco that, you know, we've just, we've got a good partnership. So, it's, it's crucial, I think, to have, um, you know, and operators know, know how they, yeah, you just want to make sure that they're, they're ready for it. And they um, understand, you know, the importance of marketing, you know, I think they do here at Velvet. So um, I'm very, very fortunate to have such an amazing operations team. You brought up loyalty programs, a lot of uh, discussion recently, at least in uh, our magazine and the circle of people I've been talking to about what works, what doesn't work. Um, obviously, you want that retention and get those people to come back. Um, what, are, what are you learning about loyalty programs? What is working for Velvet Taco? Yeah, so we um, are pretty pretty early in our loyalty program, but that's not to say it's not killing it. Um, I am extremely um, proud of that program. We actually just launched loyalty in November of 2022. So it's just over a year old. And um, we, before that had kind of a glorified, you know, email database and, you know, we were sending out mass blast campaigns and, you know, we were, you know, doing all this work on creative and it was beautiful creative. Right. Um, But we didn't really understand the, um, the, the, the behavior of our audience. And so what, what this loyalty program has allowed us to do is to understand how often consumers are coming to us, what they're buying, when they're buying it, what their favorite taco is and segment, um, you know, campaigns based on that behavior. And, uh, 
you know, it's allowed us to also personalize and customize the messages, um, which again goes back to this whole experience uh, importance that it, you know, that Velvet Taco takes in heavy importance is that, you know, personalization and the experience is critical. And, um, you know, we've We've definitely learned a lot about our guests in terms of how how often what their average lifetime value is, and um, we didn't, you know, we didn't have that prior, and so it's been it's been a great like we've averaged six six thousand uh, new members um, every week, which is pretty uh, pretty successful as, as far yeah, as wow. a young wow. loyalty program. Wow. And they're very engaged. Um, we have one of the highest email open rates that I've ever, um, you know, seen uh, in the industry. And it's, uh, you know, like I said, they're engaged, and so that's good. And, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's been great. I think you know it's allowed us to understand our guests and do some things with um, uh, data that we hadn't been able to do before. Um, we've also uh, done a lot of surprise and delights and some kind of experiential uh, loyalty incentives like we invite the top five loyalty members to a tasting um hosted by our uh head of uh culinary chef v and she will host them and they get to kind of have this really cool experience just for coming to dine with us um you know and being loyal to to us and for the holidays we sent out a gift to our we call it our hard ass if i can say that on on air, uh, our, our top tier um, loyalty members, we sent them out a little bandana and a sticker or a hat and a sticker. Um, and they, you know, just for being part of our loyalty programs, they didn't have to you know, spend anything more than if they weren't uh, coming to us otherwise. Um, but those little surprise and delights that, you know, has allowed us to kind of offer that same kind of wow factor that they get dining with us because the loyalty program is managed through our mobile app. And so giving those guests experiences that probably are dining offline. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a great, you know, year, year and a couple months of our loyalty program. And, um, you know, we'll, we've got uh, some cool things on the horizon for it. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to kind of share that uh, as it comes to fruition. Awesome. I hope everyone took note of that, how email blasts, although informative and, and, and helpful, we, most everyone that I know has done those, um, might still miss the target. Uh, and you talked about the importance of then once you have that loyalty program, including them. I, I love the idea of being selected to come on in, uh, meet uh, the culinary team, yeah. do focus group tastings of what might become new weekly specials. These are all things that people can be doing. I wish I would see more of that. Uh, fantastic suggestions. Yeah. What, what can you tell us? When you mentioned a loyalty program, you also mentioned catering. So, and we know that a lot of smaller, you know, uh, uh, restaurant uh, concept owners with one or two locations uh, jump into catering. Is, is your catering more of a off-premise setup serve? Is your catering program really more just large orders that are picked up? That's a great question. So <clears throat> catering for us is identified as anything uh, or over $150 or more. We do okay. have, we're not self-delivering catering, but uh, we do have a full-on catering menu. Um, it's taco boxes, individual lunch boxes, and then we have a party pack and, um, we focus on B2C, B2B, um, we do see our highest catering during the weekdays. And we're trying to break into that kind of weekend social kind of aspect of our catering program. Um, prior to 2021, we didn't have any sort of catering packaging pricing. And so for us, we, um, we had to, you know, kind of lay the groundwork for that and um, figure out what the pricing would be to be, uh, you know, competitive. And there was a lot of work that went into developing our catering program. And that could be, I think, a show in itself um, because there, there was a lot of aspects to consider as you're building a catering program. Um, how do you replicate that kind of product and that experience that you get in dine-in off-premise? As far as our catering program, we do not, uh, uh, offer a full setup quite yet. Um, That is kind of like phase two, but we will get there at some point, I think. Um, But we have the packaging, we have the pricing, we have, you know, the product and um, this, the service model, I think it's best in class, if I will. Uh, I don't mean to kind of um, toot our own horn over here, but it's, um, you know, why not? Sure. No. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, we'll have to get you guys some taco boxes, uh, Kristen, <laughs> because it's it's a pretty awesome setup. Um, but 
Yeah, it's, it's great. It's about, you know, it's, it's 6% of our sales right now. Um, so there's a lot of uh, runway as far as kind of where we want to take that. Um, but it's allowed us to kind of break the barriers into, you know, um, providing schools or providing schools for uh, lunches for schools and uh, workplace meetings and things like that. Cause the reality is we were catering before we had a catering menu. It was just done in our standard packaging and that, that was a lot of work, you know, from an executional standpoint. Um, and it probably didn't travel the best and it wasn't the best, uh, um, you know, visual when it got to the site and the setup and all of that. And so now we have all of that foundation um, and the potential is, uh, it's, it's so great, um, to see the demand and we're, we're excited to see kind of the future. And I think that's, that's one of our core kind of programs, if you will, right now. And so we're just kind of taking that and run, running with it. Another topic that's been of interest to me recently, and, and it, it may not be relevant to, to your marketing, um, tactics, but uh, do you do any mystery shopping on your delivery side and your your on-premises dining side to kind of see what's going on? Yeah, that is so funny you asked. We we're actually in the process of developing a mystery shopper program. We're going to tap into uh-huh. our uh, database to uh-huh. those mystery shoppers. We have not done any like official programming quite yet. Um, but I don't think you need to. A Barry and I volunteer. To do <laughs> yes. So, but but you've thought about it, I'm sure. What what's what's your take on it? What what's your vision of this uh, cast going forward? Yeah. Again, it kind of goes back to your you know your uh, question about how do you uh, partner with ops, but it is mm-hmm. you know, it's guest experience, it's operational, it's training. It's like what do we need to focus on? Mm-hmm. Um, so these mister, I'm, I'm a proponent. I think mystery shopping is a great way to find opportunities within the business. Um, you know, what we're doing well at, what we're falling short at, it's not to kind of get anybody in trouble, but I do think that it's one way to, uh, unveil these opportunities. Um, Velvet Taco has, uh, you know, we, we've, you know, been highly rated in kind of black box, which is the, um, you know, restaurant industry for consumer insights. And we've been highly rated in the guest sentiment side. So we're fortunate, but there's always room for growth and opportunity. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, what, what is it that we need to find out about our business? So I think to answer your question, I think, you know, it's, a, it's a, something that uh, would be very valuable. And it's also another way for us to, you know, engage with our guests to help, you know, us understand what we can improve on and how we can improve on, um, you know, it's all about opportunity. So I think I, I absolutely, we're, we're in the process of building something like that. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it'd be very insightful. Oh, great. Great. Well, again, it fits right in with that vision uh, purpose you mentioned earlier, relentless innovation. If you're committed to constantly improving, mm-hmm. I, I would probably think that you would you would definitely want to have a really interesting mystery shop, sort of a scorecard, just a snapshot. Here's yes. people see you. And then with that information, you can you can you know, you can plan what you might need to. Six percent are these large yeah. orders. That's amazing. Barry, that's are these 150 uh, uh, or larger orders? Uh, um, I've seen the packaging, love it. I think the taco box really works. Uh, the urban centers, I could see that working. Um, in the suburban centers, I'm just wondering, um, you know, if you feel like third party uh, delivery is really more of the future. Um, are you already really successful with third party deliver? How much of your you know sales do you see happening that way? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got, so 50% of our food goes out the door, whether it's through our mobile app or third-party delivery. And so there's, you know, the reality is third-party is here to stay. So they are our partners, right? And, you know, you hear all of these, um, you know, brands talk about, you know, the third-party fees and all of these, and yes, they're, you you don't want to pay anything more than you have to, but, um, you know, it's, you've also got these guests that are loyal to these third-party platforms that, you know, only want to download one app and order, you know, through, um, the, you know, their one app and they won't download another one. And so you, that's the rea- reality. And um, as far as, yeah, it's, it's, it's a heavy chunk of our uh, business. Um, you know, we're, we'd like to steer the guests a little bit uh, closer to the order direct side, just so we can save on some of those commissions and fees. And plus we get to own that guest experience if they place it direct through us. Um, but they're very much our partners, I think. Um, and you know, as they are our competitors. And so um, we've got great partnerships with our, th- our third party um, 
vendors and it's, it's here to stay. I mean, I think uh, that's yeah. kind of the, the brand stance on that. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's hard to control the experience once it leaves our door. Um, and so you just have to kind of, and there's, I think, I think the average guests these days, they understand what they're getting into when they order from those third-party sites. And so, um, I think the future is that they will very much be, um, a part of the part of it. Right. Um, you know, you talk about like, you hear about robots and AI and all of this stuff that's happening mm-hmm. um, from the third party um, world now. And, um, you know, we're not, we're not, we haven't quite grasped that concept yet. Not sure that we ever will, but um, I do think that, you know, these, you know, these, these bags leaving our doors, it's, it's, it's here to stay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on a big part of marketing, which is pricing in this, particular environment on uh, you can't really talk about the restaurant industry now without getting into the whole food inflation thing mm-hmm. and of course pricing it makes some interesting conversations between the chief marketer and the CFO um but then I'm reading about Velvet Taco and some value propositions to their guests, which uh, have attracted attention to the trade media. So you're doing some things well and managing to turn a profit at the same time. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you educate us on pricing in this in this economy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we last year, just like everybody else in the industry had to look at our pricing several different times. Um, you know, I think too, for us, we, we had a, a challenge ahead of us because we are a taco and, you know, tacos kind of go hand in hand with, you know, paying, you know, two, three, four bucks. And um, you're, you know, the average consumer isn't thinking that they're coming in and getting a taco or two as a, a full meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, we had, we had a lot of, um, lot of conversations about how to price the tacos, but still remain competitive. And, um, you know, we didn't want to detract the guests, but it, from a marketing perspective, we had to uh, do a better job of communicating to the consumer what they were getting for this $5 taco. And, um, but yeah, we, we, just like anybody else, I mean, we um, hired a head of supply chain um, who has really allowed us to get our, um, arms around the inflation and um, more strategic partnerships with some of our vendors to, um, you know, find uh, cost uh, economies of scale and things like that. Um, But yeah, I think it's about educating the consumer what they're getting. Um, And I think the average consumer is also willing to pay for experience and that's what we're delivering on. Um, So again, goes back to my prior comment about, um, you know, it's very much about the food, but it's also about the experience. Um, and so we need to give them both and make sure that we're always delivering on that. Um, but it, it, luckily, luckily for us, we have kind of a, a you know, a luxury taco in a, a best in class environment that, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're pretty good at that. But I am. Um, it's a real thing. It's um, it's definitely, you know, hopefully we can get through this year without uh, having to look and have that conversation um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's. It's unknown. <laughs> the, the guest experience aspect you talked about, it sounds like a lot of fun. It, it's, it's hip. There's the music is good. Um, yeah. And I can imagine that. And it, and it sounds like a great, a good guest experience, which clearly that's part of what you're paying for. But you, 50% of your food goes out the door. How do you translate that vibe um, to off-premises? You, you kind of suggested that you do. And mm-hmm. I'm going, okay, that's, digital hospitality that's pretty cool um but i'm having a hard time visualizing how that very cool fun experience that i'm going to have sitting down inside the restaurant is going to carry over into my kitchen yeah yeah it's it's part of it's the packaging um you know our our uh bags are extremely um colorful and it has kind of the same sentiment as you like our Marie Antoinette, which is an, a staple art piece in every single one of our restaurants. She is plastered on the bag. Mm-hmm. Um, also our taco holders are bright. Uh, they're uh, pink that uh, replicates our brand colors. And then mm-hmm. the top of the box is clear, which shows off the um, aesthetic of the, you know, beautiful craveable taco. And so that's part of it. Um, of course, it's hard to replicate that experience if they're ordering through a third-party site um, because you don't have any way to talk to the 
to, to the guest, um, unless of course they come to us direct. Um, you know, we send out, you know, some, some push notifications and surveys and things like that after they've ordered direct from us. And so mm-hmm. again, it goes back to my comment of trying to, you know, get, get the consumer to come to us so we can kind of continue that conversation after the food leaves the door. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, our, you know, our website is a replication of, you know, our, uh, you know, fun, uh, eclectic, uh, environment. We also, you know, our social channels and things like that. Um, and I mentioned the surprise and delights through the loyalty program. And so it's really kind of having fun with some of that and really making sure that there's an emotional tie between our digital points and the, the consumer. And it's not just trying to sell, sell, sell. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I do, um, uh, follow exactly what you're saying on uh, how important packaging is now and you're using it really as an opportunity to sort of create your story, create an environment yeah. um, <clears throat> at the end spot, whether it's somebody's desk for lunch or somebody's kitchen table. So I get it. Um, with the costs going up, we talked a little bit about, you know, the product cost, but I've seen packaging um, takes such serious importance now for every concept. Some people are looking at it as a its own expense. Some people are rolling it in as a marketing expense. Some people are moving into um, only recyclable materials, period. Where do you stand on how you classify the expense and yeah, what it's, type it's, of materials part, you use? Yeah, it's part of the cost of goods. Um, so like a label or a sticker, that would be, you know, part of the marketing um, cost, but it, it's part of the 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 food, like the packaging of bag, it's, it's all part of, uh, the cogs, the cost of goods. And so we factor that into the pricing, um, you know, model when we look at that. Um, and you had mentioned earlier about uh, value proposition. So, I mean, we are a luxury fast casual brand, if you will. Right. But, uh, you know, before we started, Chris, we were talking about this college menu, um, that you had seen, um, in the news and, you know, you know, we've got uh, three college, true college campus locations that just debuted a um, college, college COVID-friendly menu um, mm-hmm. that kind of brings that nostalgia back of, you know, burger and fries on a taco or brisket mac and cheese as a side. And so, you know, we had to take into consideration the cost of that and make sure that it was, um, you know, approachable for these co-ed students because, um, you know, we want to make sure that they can afford coming to us. So, you know, mm-hmm. we had to look at the packaging as part of that exercise. And it's all kind of part of the consideration when we're making decisions on, you know, ingredients and how is it going to be packaged? And it's just all, always needs to be part of the conversation. Packaging is oh so critical. Wow. So demographics, um, had a conversation with a marketing consultant this week. And, you know, of course, he, as you would imagine, he would say, well, you really need to know your audience. You really need to make sure your messaging is consistent with your audience. Um, what are your demographics? Is it, um, you know, I'm sure Chris and I would come there and just and, and, and enjoy the heck out of it. But I might expect to be seeing most of the diners there to be closer to my Gen Z kids age and interest um or is it a pretty broad demographic or do you do you have to shift the message based on the location yeah no it's that's you know we have all walks of life as i had mentioned like you Mm -hmm. will walk into any one of our restaurants and you'll find the business suit sitting across the table and then you'll find the college students and then you'll see you know my grandmother um so it is truly all walks of life um you know we um, try to, you know, talk to our, um, you know, more family, you know, family demographics in our suburban locations, like our Plano location up the street, um, and focus on our kids menu and, you know, things that will kind of appeal to them. Um, but when you ask, I mean, like, our demographics are very broad. Um, and so, you know, of course, you know, if we look at demographics on our social media channels, it's definitely have more heavily skewed to female and things like that. But as far as who's actually dining with us, it's very broad. Um, I think one thing is that they are all up for a taste adventure, whether it's a kid, student, um, you know, grandparent or, you know, the business suit. But we've, you know, we, we try to personalize the message from a digital loyalty perspective, just based on their attributes that are attributed to them um, when they are going through the guest journey, but it, it to answer your question full circle. It's, it's just a broad, broad audience. We don't have, um, one true kind of majority stakeholder. Mm-hmm. Is that why also the hours vary? Don't you have some locations that do late night 
We do. And when you do that, is that marketed to a different demo? Do you even do late night menus? We don't do late night menus. Our menu <clears throat> translates pretty well, but we do have different hours um, just depending on what's happening in the neighborhood. So again, our suburb locations that I mentioned, um, they're going to close down a little earlier on the weekends. Um, and our urban locations, um, you know, they're, they're staying open to four o'clock in the morning. Um, and we look at, you know, demand and, you know, uh, sales during those last hours and, you know, adjust hours as needed. But for the most part, our weekends, we, we kind of communicate open really late. Um, that's always been kind of one of our pillars uh, here at Velvet Taco is open really late. And uh, we kind of scaled back the hours during the pandemic just because the demand wasn't there. And then now, you know, with things kind of coming uh, with things out of um, that world, we, we um, have been fortunate enough to uh, reintroduce those late night hours. Um, but yeah, they do vary, um, especially on the weekends. Um, some of our locations will close at one, some will close at two, and then uh, you know three and four. So it just really depends on if there's bars or restaurants or nightclubs or what's happening within proximity of the location. I've got a menu question I wanted to run at you because I really think it has kind of a marketing connection. There seems to be a growing, um, uh, sort of a growing movement with for the love of breakfast. Some of that is because of the breakfast lunch concepts. A lot of yeah. independents are following the snooze and other types of concepts. And then other people are just having like breakfast foods rolled into the regular menu. And so I wanted to know how, how does that get marketed at Velvet? Is there breakfast tacos only available early throughout the whole menu or what? Gee, I'm glad you asked this. <laughs> breakfast tacos are a huge thing here in Texas. And we pre-pandemic had breakfast. We called it brunch all day. Um, and then we took them away because they were such a low selling item that, um, mm -hmm. you know, we've been having conversations here and we're actually testing a breakfast menu in a handful of our restaurants that's available all day. And then we've got breakfast um, available mm -hmm. in four of the, the set of um, our restaurants that are available as early as 7 a.m. And so we're testing that right now. Um, we do think breakfast tacos does translate. Um, it's a huge upside and it's a whole new day park for us. And so it's something we're very, it's very topical right now. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're looking at it. I think that's, um, you know, I, it would give us a lot, a lot more, um, and they're delicious. I mean, personally, they're my favorite. So when we took off the menu is my personal favorite, but um I'm a sucker for breakfast tacos. And I think, I think, uh, especially here in Texas, that's a huge opportunity for us. So it's, it's definitely something we're looking at and we hope to kind of relaunch breakfast and positioned as breakfast versus brunch all day um, in the next couple of months. I've alluded to your regionality and, but I, we hadn't really discussed um, the the breadth of your of of the brand in terms of how many uh, how many cities and and states that you are currently operating in, um, could you uh, share that with our guests and then maybe share any insights you have that you can discuss regarding how far you want to go with this? It seems like a it seems like a brand that would do well in just by any market. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so we Velvet Tower right now. We're in um, I'm gonna say seven cities. Um, we've got 30, 36 uh, locations in. I'm sorry, seven states, thirty six locations, and I mean, we're going for taco domination. <laughs> so my my mantra is there. Okay. Um, so what's next for ta for taco, taco domination? Taco. Okay, domination. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got, so we just opened, um, so we've got 10 planned this year. We just opened one of those. So we have nine more um, for the balance of the year. Those will all happen before uh, the end of July. So we'll be busy, um, uh, you know, for the next couple of months. And then for the foreseeable future, um, we've got, uh, you know, 10 plus restaurants that we're looking at opening. So we hope to, you know, I can't say every city, but uh, every city where it makes sense and, you know, um, not sure if you saw the news. We just recently um, announced a partnership with um, some airport locations, and so that's look that's coming, and a couple of other you know fun non traditional locations that are coming as well. But um, you know, we're breaking barriers in new markets. Um, you know, we've got uh, Waco, Texas, which is uh, another one of those college campus areas. We've got uh, Miami later this year. Um, you know, we've got to focus in Dallas here and kind of expanding that footprint because we know we know we have the brand equity, quite frankly, here. And um, 
So, yeah, I mean, we've got a couple of mar- mar- new markets planned for the next couple of years, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's nice well, to be. Miami. So is that like, is Florida a new uh, state or have you been there for a while? No, we have not been in Florida. So uh, Miami, uh, Fort Lauderdale, um, those locations will be um, brand new markets for us. Wow. All corporate, all corporate owned uh, and and operated or um, is this a, a franchise model to any extent? So we have, um, 34 corporate owned locations. We have two licensed agreement locations, which are owned by our uh, beloved partners, FB Society, um, mm-hmm. who are um, uh, ran by our found Velvet Tacos founder, founders, Jack Gibbons and Randy DeWitt. Mm-hmm. And those are licensed agreements. So we don't operate them for FB Society does um, does those and we um, we just partner with them. So uh, our, we're looking at corporate owned uh, partnerships and then some, some will be licensed agreements. So um, yeah, we're looking at both of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really like uh, the idea of the non-traditional locations getting, you know, popular, more localized, so to speak, regional brands. Um, are there challenges uh, as you go into airports and whatnot with maybe restrictions on how you can either uh, market your brand or restrictions on packaging, even menu items, pricing, because yeah. a lot of smaller companies have always heard that that these kinds of things sound attractive, but they're just full of rules. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the opera, uh, so like airports, you know, you're, you're going to have to accommodate the, the diner on the go. So, you know, grab and go food and, you know, packaging, you know, suitable for, you know, an airplane and things like that, that we'll have to, you know, partner with these folks and, um, yeah, the, the, and like I said earlier, we're, you know, scratch made um, kitchen. And so our, our kitchens have a lot of equipment in it and these, mm-hmm. these stalls and airports don't necessarily have the space to accommodate it. So we just need to, you know, fit our, you know, it's, it's just a partnership and we just need to make sure that the, you know, the partner that we're uh, getting into the relationship with understands that. And uh, it's been, they've been well received so far, but yeah, there's been opportunity or, you know, I'm not going to say challenges because we haven't, you know, completely gone down that path. Um, so there's some to be learned, but um, yeah, it, it's just, a, it's going to be a learning process to see how our menu translates into these smaller footprints, but we've done it a little bit with our food hall locations. We have mm-hmm. three food hall locations um, and, you know, we just had to scale down the menu. Mm-hmm. Is there any commissary uh component to all of this uh, where uh, some some of the uh, food prep is centralized or it sounds to me everything is really made right on site yeah right on site yeah okay I've got one uh, last menu how it markets uh, question for you and that is the use of alcohol do you do beer and wine only are some of your units doing alcohol and if so how do you market you know that as a piece of your brand yeah yeah Chris one of our um Key staple menu items is our kick-ass margarita. So it is, um, it's, it's been around since the inception and um, we, we package it for to go. It's a, it, we actually just recently introduced that in Texas and um, Illinois is not recently, but after the pandemic, right? So we can now sell um, those items to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we have beer. We, we don't have wine. We've got, um, Beer and kick-ass margaritas, usually our uh, locations have a regional flair um, as far as the beer selection goes. Um, and then, of course, the kick-ass margarita. And then we also have, um, so our, our foundational li- liquor is tequila. And so we've got uh, Palomas, Ranch Waters as well. But the staple has always been the kick-ass margarita. Um, we call it the soup of the day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you find that section as some limited menu restaurants are reporting that that sector is growing. The yeah. percentage of say liquor and beer in counter service is actually growing. Is that what you're finding? Yes, absolutely. Especially in, you know, uh, it's when we look at the data, it's like some of these locations in the urban um, areas have a much higher, um, you know, mix when it comes to alcohol. Um, and we, we quickly learn which locations have the opportunity to drive check because of the, the high uh, percentage of alcohol sales. But yes, it is a huge. I mean, we're looking at adding um, floaters to our uh, kick-ass margarita and our ranch waters, a Grand Marnier uh, floater. 
um, just for, you know, a dollar 50. And so that'll, um, yeah, that'll help, you know, kind of not only get the guests a little bit more booze, but also help with some of our uh, sales. So yeah, we're looking at all of it. And then, you know, we're looking at some seasonal things from a margarita flavor standpoint, but um, yeah, it's been, yeah, people, people like their tacos and their margaritas. That's what we have found. I'd also imagine that that also imagine the craft brewers would uh, be uh, wanting to partner with you when you come into their markets. Yeah. Like our D Bellum restaurant, we just opened. Um, they've, uh, they've got a lot of breweries around them and they don't, you know, sell food. And so we're talking, we're talking, we're in partnerships with them to have our QR code, at their, their breweries so they can order tacos while they're sitting there and enjoying their beers. Perfect. Yeah. Something tells me though, that uh, with all the seasonality that you're probably going to come up in the winter with maybe a margarita that won't have to touch on either a pumpkin or cinnamon. And Same. we can maybe skip that. Yeah, I'll let a chef know. <laughs> we don't need any more of that. No, no pumpkin spice. I yeah, mean. no, it's, yeah, that's all over. That's okay. been done. <laughs> well, I just hope that as long as you keep marketing the food, no one touches the picnic chicken. That's still my go-to. Oh, that's, um, that's staying around. I'm glad you're dropping taco names. You're speaking my, my language. Yeah. The picnic chicken well, is delicious. And Mary, what's your favorite? Yeah. You know, I haven't, I haven't been in the uh, Velvet Taco yet. I'm embarrassed to say, but I oh. am very interested. I'm in, I'm in North Carolina. I don't, I'm not sure if you're in my market yet, but I've got an open invitation to, uh, to come to Houston. And I think that will be high on my list of, of, uh, of uh, visitations all right well, we're in charlotte so i'm gonna have to in charlotte yeah. that's right you are okay my daughter graduated unc charlotte uh, in may i didn't know about it now i have to have another reason to go back so there you go yes <laughs> i'll report to you when i after i have my my first velvet taco <laughs> sounds good Cassie, thank you so much for spending this time with us you shared a lot of good marketing tips i think this is a lot of good uh, practical knowledge that every one of our listeners is going to be able to use. So this is this has been really really helpful. We we wish you continued success with the building of your brand. Just keep on keeping on. Thank you, Chris Barry. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, thank you for having me today. Thank you, Cassie. Be well. Bye bye. And everyone, we hope to see you really soon on another corner booth. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the corner booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. <laughs>